0: Hello and welcome to the quick release podcast. I'm Justin Lynch. With me today, Dennery Noon. Dennery, how are you?
1: I'm doing very well, Justin. Very very much looking forward to getting into it and talking about the NBA draft here.
0: Yes, yes. NBA draft this week and we have a preview edition for you today. We're going to get right into it. Let's start at the top of the board. Dennery, who's your top prospect and who do you think the Suns should take?
1: For me, I mean, it has to start with Luka Doncic. I know that everyone's popular pick is DeAndre Ayton because of the size and the strength and the build and how much skill he has. But, I mean, if you talk about just pure talent, pure game-changing ability, and just the kind of ability to really become one of those playmaking, franchise-altering players, it has to start with Luka Doncic. I mean, think about all the past, players in th- from Europe that have come through the NBA and gone through the NBA draft, and all those guys that have played over in Spain or uh, Turkey or where, uh, wherever abroad, I mean, none of these players, regardless of how much success they've had in the NBA, have come even remotely close to the level of success that Doncic has had since he's played at Real Madrid. And really, I mean, winning the... EuroLeague MVP at at the age of 18 and just his ability to not not only with his size at six seven, but his ability to Make plays. He's an unbelievable passer. He's a good enough shooter, and he's His defense Definitely can improve. I love Doncic, and I think that it, you'd be foolish not to take Doncic Yeah, well, I mean I think it's always
0: a tough debate when you talk about athleticism versus skill, and in, in this case, Doncic isn't the most athletic person in the draft, but he's still athletic. It's not like he's the slowest guy out there. He's 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 an average athlete, and he's only 19, and he has a chance to become a much better athlete with NBA dieting, NBA training, NBA rest. So I'm not super concerned about that. And when you and when you look at this talent versus skill debate, this uh, athleticism versus skill debate. Just look to last year. Someone who we all knew had a ton of talent was Jason Tatum, and there were issues, oh, is he going to be able to shoot the three? Is he going to be athletic enough to guard d- defensively or get to the basket? And clearly those, I mean, obviously he landed in a perfect situation, but those concerns were mitigated right off the bat. Even in summer like you saw that those even w- weren't that big of an issue. Doncic is doing it. He's done it before. He's going to continue to do it in the NBA, and it's because he has basketball IQ and a ton of skill, and he's going to be able to, to trim down and, and get leaner and get quicker and everything else will just come naturally.
1: Yeah, and I think what's really important, when you look at kind of which franchises are really successful in the NBA and kind of how how these successful franchises are built, they're built through wings. I know we love guys like Carl Anthony Towns and, and DeAndre Ayton and big really talented bigs like that and Boogie Cousins and Anthony Davis, and those guys are, well, Anthony Davis is a little bit of an exception, but all those guys are unbelievable, but they can't be your number one because really it has to start with wing play. If you do not have talented wings, then you're not going to be able to win in this NBA, and I think that that's what really separates Doncic and his ability to kind of control the court. He has a high basketball IQ, like I said. He's a good shooter, and he's a great passer, and his athleticism is good enough, like you said, and it's going to continue to improve.
0: Let's think about the fit here for a second. If you're the Suns, obviously everyone says they're, they're they're taking Aiton because they want this big presence down low. Would you prefer to pair someone like Aiton with Booker and Jackson, or do you think another guard slash wing, adding that person to the mix, would be a better fit for Phoenix with the core they have going forward?
1: like I kind of like I said I think Doncic is a perfect fit in that system because with Booker, I mean Booker's not going to be your primary ball handler. Jackson's not going to be your primary ball ball handler. You put Doncic in that situation, you allow him to be a playmaker, have guys on both sides that can really help him out, really kind of open up the floor and then you're not asking him to do too much offensively, but just play because he can rely on those two guys to really start really scored. I mean, obviously we know how much, how good of a shooter Booker is. And then if you talk about Jackson's athleticism, his, just his offensive skills are going to continue to improve. We saw that throughout the, throughout the entire season last year. I mean, obviously, I mean, if you pick Aiton, you're going to have a very productive player who's going to fit well in the system. But I still think that Doncic is just a better fit because I think he'll go really nicely along with Booker and Jackson.
0: I agree, but let's talk more about Aiden here, and let's jump down to the Sacramento Kings at number two, because you guys can get plenty of analysis on Aiden to the Suns, I'm sure that's everywhere, but on the off chance that this is all a smokescreen, and Aiden would drop, would come down to number two, as I have it on my mock, that's a really good fit for him on the Kings, because I personally, I mean, I think Jaron Jackson's better than DeAndre Aiden for a number of reasons, but... The Kings need a superstar, and they don't have their pick next year. They're running out of time to get an absolute all-star to play alongside what they have now, which means Darren Fox and maybe Buddy Hill and Bogdanovich is okay. And, I mean, Harry Giles, Scal, Willie Cauley-Stein. They don't really have much right now, and without their pick next year, they really need a building block. So that's why I have eight at number two. I think he has a better chance to be that guy than Jaron Jackson. With that said, I, I like Jaron Jackson's game better. So, Denner, if you're two and you're the Kings and you're looking at those two guys, who are you taking?
1: I'm going to take Aiton there. And as much as I love Jaron Jackson, I think that Aiton is just such a dominant presence. He's a really, really good scorer. And if he continues to extend his range, then I think that the potential there could be limitless. And I, it, also, kind of like you said, I mean, I like... There are some building blocks there in Sacramento. Between De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Heald in the backcourt, I think that he could also fit nicely with a guy like Willie Cauley-Stein who may kind of relieve some of those defensive duties that he might have, as we know. Because, as we know, De'Aaron isn't the best defender. But, I mean, there would definitely be a little bit of a concern if you do pair those two guys together just in terms of spacing. But... I personally would take the under eight and at number two. I think that if you're the Kings and he fell, it would be inexcusable to pass up on him.
0: Well, it's definitely not gonna fall past two. But once you get to three it starts to get interesting. So we have Jaron Jackson's in the mix, we have Marvin Bagley's in the mix. If Luke is off the board, then obviously he wouldn't be there, but we tend to see that that he may fall down to three to the Hawks. And of course, Mobamba, Michael Porter are all kind of in this mishmash of, of prospects. The Hawks don't have much right now at three. They have John Collins, who had a pretty good year last year, and they got some decent players: Torian Prince, Bays Mawar, Dennis Schroeder. But none of those guys really seem like long-term building blocks. Collins, maybe. I had Jaron Jackson at three, my mock, just because I don't think he, I think he's too big of a talent to pass up. But, Dennery, could you talk yourself into Michael Porter at three?
1: Yeah, I mean you could. I again, I agree with you in the sense that I would take Jaron Jackson there at 3 if he was there and Luka Doncic Luka Doncic wasn't there. But if if you're Atlanta and you are kind of pressing, which they shouldn't be because they're they're in it for the, they're in this rebuild for the long haul. They they need to continue to stay bad and get these high high draft picks, and if you look at next year's draft, guys like RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish coming out, I mean, that's those are two dream scenario wings that you could get if you're Atlanta, and that those guys would pair nicely with Jaron Jackson. But again, Michael Porter, we saw how, we saw the potential. Obviously, he's, he was such a highly touted recruit coming out of high school, number one player. Everyone loved him. He was a consensus number one pick coming out of or and going into the season last year before he got hurt and I mean the size is there 6'10 maybe 6'11 the shooting's not great but that can definitely improve there's definitely a resent- some semblance of a jumper there and he is strong physical and can kind of control control the ball bring it up up and down the court so I think that Yes, you could talk yourself into Michael Porter at three just because he has the potential to be one of those game-changing talents, but the safer pick would be Jaron Jackson.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think Michael Porter is, is someone who you really need to get a hold of early in his career so he doesn't fall into bad habits. And I think on a team like the Hawks, you could say that he may have too much control and he may take too many shots and have too much slack offensively to kind of do what he wants. I think if he goes into a more sturdy organization, a, a team with more veteran players, more scores, say the Grizzlies or the Mavericks, that maybe those teams can kind of can rein him in a little bit and say, hey, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do, because he's a shooter. He gets the ball and he shoots all the time. And he's a ton of offensive talent, but he, he may need to be taught good habits. And if he has Dennis Smith and Harrison Barnes around him, they're going to take a lot of shots away from him. And if he starts taking bad shots, Rick Carlisle will put him on the bench. And if he's in, if he's in Memphis, then Gasol's getting shots. Mike Conley's getting shots. I just wonder for his development if those are better situations.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think, I think you nailed it. I mean, in just in terms of coaching situations, if he went to Dallas, I mean, Rick Carlisle—that's a great coach to learn under and develop and really take your skills to the next level and then with memphis i mean playing with guys like mike conley and marcus all who are established veterans who really really know what they're doing and can give him kind of advice and expertise on where he can go kind of the things that he can do to take his career to the next in his skills to the next level i think that'd be great um then again if he was in Atlanta and he did have a lot of rain, then I think that those are also opportunities to kind of work on your game as it, it work on your game in the NBA, kind of getting a lot of opportunities to play and develop and learn how to score in the NBA, and then kind of going from there. But um, kind of like you said, I think that uh, I think that Dallas and Memphis would both be a better.
0: So before we move on, I just want to do a quick soliloquy on my guy, Jaron Jackson, who I have at number two overall on my big board. Jackson, obviously has caught a lot of people's eyes and he's, he seems right now to be the consensus number three overall pick right now as the third big guy off the board. I think Jaron Jackson's ability to shoot is, I'm a little scared because it's a little bit of a push shot, but I think it's gonna be able to carry over enough. He's a good free throw shooter and, and he seemed to have decent range at Michigan State. His ability to switch one through five on the perimeter, he's the only person in this draft that's, a, that's at the top of the board as a big that I, that I really feel confident in saying he can switch one to five and protect the rim with seven, four and a half wingspan. It's really, really hard for me to look at Jaron Jackson and not see a borderline all-star player. I'm not saying he's gonna average 20 points a game, he may, he may never average more than 14 points a game, but if he can shoot 35 or 37% from three and make some plays off the dribble when overplayed and just hound guys defensively, it's, it's really, really hard for me to see, given how young he is, given the skills he already has, and given the fact that he was playing out of position with Miles Bridges and Nick Ward on either side of him at Michigan State. Nick Ward shouldn't have been on the floor. Miles Bridges also playing out of position with more spacing, with better shooters around him, I I mean, this guy's going to be awesome. And I don't don't understand, I mean, he's getting a lot of buzz, but I don't understand why people aren't talking about him more in the DeAndre Ayton conversation.
1: Does it worry you at all that he only played about 21 minutes a game last year and really only took six shots? No, it it doesn't at all. I mean, Karl-Anthony Towns, obviously
0: Kentucky's a different situation, but Towns was part of the five-in, five-out Kentucky team. And... He barely. I mean, I mean, he played twenty, twenty-five minutes a game too. And you see freshmen, and sometimes they just don't play that much. And I think everyone agrees Tomozo didn't do a good job, and for whatever reason, played other guys more. And obviously, Jaron Jackson had the foul trouble issues, which which hurt him as well. But the the minutes per game doesn't bother me. Devin Booker barely played. Player barely played in college. Deion Waiters didn't start in college. Granted, he's not very good. But
1: so, do you think that that? is contributing then to him kind of not being in that DeAndre Ayton conversation because a- Ayton was such, was much more of a polarizing figure in college basketball last year?
0: Yeah, I think it's part of that. I, I think the other part of it is that Ayton's been the number one player since he was 14. I mean, we've been talking about DeAndre Ayton since, for the last five or six years, about, oh one one Ayton's good, Ayton's going to be the first overall pick, this guy's crazy, this guy's so, so good, and he, and he is, and he is really good, but I think a lot of times people can get confirmation bias in their, in their draft analysis and I think you think someone's good and you watch them play and they make a good play and it's like, see I told you that player was good, when sometimes you need to take a step back and really think, Aiden's a monster and he's incredibly strong and he's an awesome rebounder and he's a really good scorer, but he has a flat shot he doesn't have an NBA three point, sh- three point range right now and he's not a particularly good defender. He has the tools to make those things better, and I think he's going to be a monster scorer, and if he can figure out defensively, he's going to be really, really good. But there's a chance that that doesn't necessarily happen. And I look at Jaron Jackson, and I say, see a guy who's going to contribute to a winning team sooner rather than later. When I see DeAndre Ayton, I see Joel Embiid. I see Carl Towns. I see a monster offensive player who's going to make a bunch of all-star teams who probably isn't the style of player that you need to win a title with him as your best player.
1: And because Jackson's your guy, Jackson's other than Doncic, Jackson's your guy. He number two on your board. What's your dream scenario, dream fit for Jaron Jackson?
0: I mean, that's that's a tough question. I think I think uh, the Mavericks will be really fun for him. I'm not a huge huge Dennis Smith man, but he's a good player, and and anywhere you can space the floor would be good. Would be good for him. It's it's so hard because a lot of the teams right now at the top of the draft just don't have much. And, and normally when I do the mock draft, I do the, um, I do the player they should avoid and their, their dream scenario. And I didn't do that this year because all of these, in the past, the teams we've been working with had a, had a relatively stable core that they're building on, the Celtics, the Sixers, even the Lakers to an extent. This year, it's a lot of teams early in their rebuild. The Mavericks have yet to even tear down. This is really the Hawks' first year of having a, a, a top pick. the The Suns are the only team you could say that have a have a stable stable core going. And I mean, the Kings are just a mess. The Kings don't have a franchise piece. Darren Fox is good, but Darren Fox, Darren Fox may not be a top four player on a title team. He, maybe he is. I mean, I really like Darren Darren Fox, but we just don't know yet. So, I think that because these teams are so so young, and we just don't know what they're going to be we don't know what picks they're going to get the next couple of years. It's tough to pick a specific spot for him. But I will say about Jackson is he's going to, he's going to fit in anyway because of his skill set.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think with the teams that are at the top of the draft board, with the exception of the Suns, it's kind of almost, it's not in it's uneventful might be the right word, but it's all, it's, very almost not it's not exciting for some of these guys that we really like and really kind of are excited to play basketball excited to see at the next level the fit that they might be going that they might be going into I just it's uh almost disappointing might be the right word for some of these guys especially um, in the short term yeah I would agree but with that being said moving on I mean we kind of have this Almost like when you get to the four through kind of six, seven, eight range, it's a little bit blur. We don't exactly know who's gonna go, when, where. I mean, we talked about Michael Porter. We haven't hit on Mo Mo Bamba yet, who we both really like. Um, there are guys like Trey Young who could go at six. He could go, fall down to twelve. I mean, so there's a lot of room there. So kind of give me give me some of your thoughts on that kind of range.
0: Well, I, I mean, we touched on Michael Porter, so I won't say much about him. But I think, I think Bamba is the safest pick of the bunch, if that makes sense. But I think, I mean, and I've been a huge Bamba fan, as you have for the past year plus. But Bamba, he's big, and he's skinny, and he doesn't have a body that tends to hold up in the NBA – Smaller, stockier guys kind of pushed him around under the basket. He's so big that it it almost didn't matter in college, but he's he doesn't have the quickness on the perimeter right now and he could get it, but I, I, you see him
1: yeah.
0: you see him guard guys in the perimeter and a lot of times he gets blown by in a 710 wingspan he takes one step block shot anyway. but he's not going to be able to do that in the NBA with the three point line out as farther as it is. So I think Baba can come in right away, and I think he can be a rim protector for sure, and he can switch on to some guys, but I'm worried about his, his switching ability, and I'm worried about his shooting ability, because he's been talking about this shot, but he's, he was I mean he was a terrible shooter in college. He shot high 60s, I think, from the line, and, and I don't know what he shot from three, but it really didn't make a difference. He was taking wide open shots, and he didn't shoot that great of a percentage. So if he can rework that, if he can shoot threes, and it seems like he's going to be able to be an okay shooter, but think about where Joel Embiid is. Obviously, he missed two years for injury, but think about where Joel Embiid is right now. He's a 33% three-point shooter, and he's he's really, really good down low, and those skills that he has. Do we think Mo Bamba is going to be... Anywhere near that? Do we think Mo is going to be anywhere near the outside shooter that Joel Embiid is? Because Embiid's only 33%. And it's still early in Embiid's career. But I'm more skeptical about Bamba's jumper in the short run. And I don't think he has any post moves right now. And he's a lot skinnier than Embiid. So I don't love that comparison. And the Rudy Gobert thing is, it's fine defensively, but he doesn't dive to the rim like Gobert does offensively. And if the shot's not there, I mean, if you're in the playoffs and Bamba's shooting threes, What Bomba shoot
1: threes. Yeah, I almost kind of – he's a bit longer, but I almost kind of compare him to, like, a longer, maybe a little bit more athletic Willie Cauley-Stein, where kind of struggled offensively in college. Um, People were kind of duped a little bit by those videos of Cauley-Stein, draining threes with nobody covering him in the gym pre-draft. Same thing with Mo Bamba. I mean, we saw we saw a video of Shaq hitting threes. But <laughs> like, they unopened? I mean, it's not that difficult. But super athletic, like you said, really long, really really good defender and can defend the perimeter. But like Willie Cauley Stein, I mean, yeah, <laughs> let him shoot outside, and if he's gonna. He's gonna go off every once in a while and have a really good night, score the basketball. Then yeah, those things are gonna happen. But at the same time, it's not gonna be that consistent. And I think that, I mean, comparing to, comparing him to like, I think even talking about Joel Embiid right now in terms of athletic, or offensive ability is almost just generous because even though Embiid's only 33% three point shooter, I mean, obviously uber talented offensively and much more talented than Bamba.
0: So the two guys we have mentioned. That I think are the most polarizing players in the class, Trey Young and Marvin Bagley are both in the mix here, and we think Bagley's going to go earlier. But I'm not a huge Marvin Bagley fan, um, and Trey Young is Trey Young is is interesting. He um, he could really go either way. Of those two prospects, do you think we're underrating either of them? Do you think a, a team in the top five to, to, should take a chance on one of them? Or do you agree with what I have in my mock draft where I have maybe the more safer guys earlier?
1: I, I don't think Marvin Bagley's really all that talented at all. And, I mean, granted, we've missed on guys before. I mean, not talented's not the right word, but... Yeah, talented's not the right word. But NBA fit-wise, I don't think... I, I think that he's going to struggle just kind of like you do. Um, But, again, granted, we've been wrong on guys. We were extremely wrong on jason tatum last year and granted i'm I'm very excited about that but i mean bagley bagley's a guy who really he's not a strong shooter he isn't a good defender you i mean you said this to me time and time again a lot of his points in college were off of like alley-oops or rebounding just because he was bigger than everybody else it's not like he was doing anything transcendent wasn't really stretching the floor and again, really, really not a good defender. Trey Young, I think Trey Young. It's all about the fit for him. If he goes to the right place, I think that he can be good. I really like him in New York because I think that he would fit really well with uh, with Frankie Smokes over there. Because again, Frank, really, really good defender, but maybe not the guy that you want to be kind of handling the ball in most situations whereas Trey Young can be more of that offensive presence and kind of hide in certain defensive situations. So I think for Trey Young a lot of it is about fit.
0: See, I'm going to disagree. I think Trey Young comes down to not like a philosophical belief in in certain parts of the game, but we saw how good Isaiah Thomas was on the Celtics. And yeah. we see how good Steph Curry is on, on Golden State. And obviously those guys are on different levels. If you're going to be as bad at defense as Trey Young is going to be, and he is probably the worst defender in the class. Him and Donza um over coming over from Europe, are probably the two worst defenders in the class. And Bagley's not far behind. But we can get back to him in a minute. If you're going to take someone that, that, that's that bad at defense, they need to be transcendent offensively. and I'm not saying Troy Young can't be that. If anyone is going to be that, it's going to be Troy Young in this class. Because he is an incredible shooter. He's a Steph Curry-like shooter and he has he's like, he he might be the best passer other than Luka Doncic in the draft. He's an incredible passer, good vision, anyone who can shoot that well can get to the basket because people are going to bite on the upfakes. But we saw what happened in the playoffs. We saw Terry Rozier get attacked and Rozier is a good defender. We saw Steph Curry get attacked time after time. We see James Harden get attacked Every team's worst defender just gets attacked every single play and those guys at some point need to hold their own and I'm not sure I'm not sure Trey Young's ever going to be able to and if he can't do anything defensively do you think that he's going to be that good offensively where he's averaging 28 and 11 and just transforming an offense into another stratosphere where it's worth him being awful at defense.
1: I mean, you definitely make a good point because if you think about it, I mean, with guys like that, it's so difficult to like it's like you think about Isaiah. Quite possibly the worst defender in the NBA. And as much as you try to hide him, I mean, ultimately you're going to get exposed, and for him to have as much of an impact as he needs to have, like if we're talking about Trey Young, and if we're comparing him defensively to a guy like Isaiah, for him to have as much of an offensive impact as he needs to have for you to kind of confirm that you made the right choice that early, then something's probably wrong because that player probably shouldn't be your number one option on offense. So you kind of just changed my opinion a little bit. In the situation.
0: So with that said then, what team do you think, where does it become... Where does that risk become a risk that you'd be willing to take? Is it is it six to the Magic? Is it nine, as you mentioned, to the Knicks, where at least you have some protection with Frankie Smokes? Is it thirteen or fourteen to the Nuggets? Say, hey, let's let's go all in on the no defense shooting team.
1: I mean, if I'm if I'm the Knicks, I still take them at nine because I think that ultimately, right now. Where the franchise is at, I think it would be, like I said, is even though Trey Young is necess- is probably going to have to be hidden in most situations, he can still really, really score the ball, like you said, he can shoot, and he probably would fit well along Frank Natalekina. It'd be another relatively polarizing offensive option other than Chris Stapps, and it's the start. It's the start of something. It might, not, it might not be... He might not be the long-term answer in New York, but it's definitely the start of something.
0: Then let's go back to Marvin Bagley, because I agree with you. I, he's, I mean, he's not good at defense, and he can't really shoot. I'm not saying he's not going to be able to shoot, but right now he can't really shoot, and he can't use his right hand at all. But if he can shoot, if three years down the line he's shooting 36% from three, now that's a different player. Because he's athletic enough to take guys off the dribble if he has space. And no one's gonna I mean no one's gonna get close to him because he can't shoot right now. But take another step out at him and he might be able to drive by. And he's good diving to the basket, he's athletic, he finishes above the rim. He had a he finished 75% of shots at the rim despite only using his left hand. I think he could be a decent offensive player, at least an energy big, even if he's not going to be good at defense, if he develops that jump shot. Now, do you think he's a guy who you take a shot on in the second half of the top 10, or are you, do you think that, are you going to say, which is totally logical, what guys that come off the bench in the NBA that are big guys don't play defense? None of them, right? I mean, Kelly Olynyk. Like, there are very, there's a very slim number of players that are bigs that come off the bench that play the five that don't play defense. And if Bagley's not a starter and he's a bench player and he's not providing rim protection and spurts, then I don't want him on my team and go take a shot on him in the
1: 20s. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I mean, it's tough because we know Bagley's going to go in the top three or four. So it's kind of tough to hypothesize here. But I still think that there's enough there offensively where I mean you could it that he'd be worth taking a shot at in the late single digits. But I mean you think about Jalil too, like Jalil, really really, really strong offensive prospect, and we saw his offensive ability. When he was a rookie in Philadelphia, and he was scoring 18, 19 points a game and nine rebounds, and they lost a bunch of games, and now Joel is basically out of the league and obsolete because he can't stretch the floor and he can't play defense. So if Bagley never really develops that jump shot, then I mean, what's what's the conversation?
0: The conversation is that Bagley is is a an incredible rebounder, with, which Joel sometimes could struggle at, and he's way more athletic I compare Bagley to a taller Julius Randle where he has skills he just doesn't have the skills that teams want and I think that that's his biggest issue but other than other than that that's kinda of the, the top eight that really really that's probably I mean, that's pretty much your top eight after that things get dicey do you have any any players specifically in like the nine to the end of the lottery range that you think are being undervalued, overvalued, or teams maybe in the top eight should take a chance on?
1: I'm a huge Colin Sexton fan. I I really like Colin Sexton because I like I like his explosiveness, his ability to create. He might not be the best shooter. Right now, but, again, I mean, we, we've we seen scenarios where shooting's a thing that can be developed. We saw, we've seen it with Jalen Brown passing. I mean, from where Jalen Brown was his freshman year at Cal to where he is now, it's, I mean, light years in separation difference. So those are things that can be developed. I mean, Donovan Mitchell wasn't really that great of a shooter when he was at Louisville. And I'm not saying Colin Sexton's Donovan Mitchell. I would compare him more to a... a Dennis Smith, but he can be a really, really good defender. He's he's strong off the dribble. He can pass the ball, and if his shooting does develop, I think that he can be a really, really good NBA player.
0: Sex is interesting. I compare him more to Terry Rozier. I'm not sure there's any point guards in this draft who have the potential to be... One of the top fifteen to twenty point, one of the top fifteen point guards in the NBA, and that doesn't mean Sexton can't still be really good, but he's small. He's going to get attacked defensively on switches, even though he's a relentless, super hard worker. He is a good defender, but there's just nothing you can do when you're six one, when and you got LeBron, Kawhi, or Paul George or someone like that backing you down. I think that he's probably. A better shot later in the lottery than earlier because I just like the fits better for some other players and one of my favorites is Mikel Bridges who who kind of opposite of Colin Sexton who's kind of a point guard with a with a shaky shot and maybe and and plays hard but but maybe doesn't have the defensive versatility that teams would want. Bridges is is kind of the opposite in a lot of ways he's not nearly as aggressive not nearly as aggressive but he's a knockdown shooter who switches defensively and he's a a little thin, he's not going to be Kawhi Leonard defensively but he'll be a really good defender and he's older, he's way older than Colin Sexton but it's kind of the known talent versus versus upside pick where you take Bridges and you know what you're getting and you take Sexton and and maybe he really turns into something special or maybe he tops out as a backup pointer
1: Yeah I mean both Both prospects are definitely really interesting. I like Bridges just as much as you do. I think, again, he'd be a really, really good fit uh, with Philadelphia at 10. They need a guy like that who can shoot and kind of be their 3 and D option in a lineup that has Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and maybe Marco Folt, but it isn't exactly um, knocking down shots every time. every. Possession down the floor, especially if they aren't able to re-sign J.J. Redick, who was making $24 million last year. Bridges would be a really good option for them. He doesn't; he wouldn't have to do too much. And they have enough playmaking, playmaking ability there, and great pass on Simmons, where they'd be able to get him the ball in good situations. But um, I think with Sexton, I think it'd be really interesting to see him and maybe Shea Gilders-Alexander... Both get taken by Los Angeles and by the Clippers at twelve and thirteen. I think those would be two really interesting fits and a really nice defensive backcourt for Los Angeles to kind of start building with.
0: Yeah, how those guys would work together would be interesting. I uh, I worry a little bit about both of them for for different reasons. It wouldn't be a, it would be a, frankly a, a bad shooting backcourt. Yeah. Um. I have Shea Gullis Alexander going to the Clippers in my mock. Yeah. He's one of those guys where you look at him and it's like, okay, he's a 6'6 point guard who's, who's skinny and could be a good defender but really needs to pack on some weight. He broke the record for at least body fat at the combine. It was like 3%, something ridiculous. <laughs> but on paper, he's just not that enticing. He isn't particularly athletic, doesn't shoot the ball very well, skinny. I mean, he's tall and he's long. But you watch him play, and he he slithers through screens. He's an incredible passer. He makes winning plays. He finishes at the rim. And you think, hey, this guy could really be a solid NBA player. I would like to pair him more with with a wing, someone who can shoot, someone who's going to space the floor around it and spot up around his pick and rolls. And that's why I had Miles Bridges going there, who, I mean, he's a little undersized for a wing. He's a good rebounder, but he should be a better rebounder. Hopefully the shot's there. Hopefully he can get a little quicker. I think Bridges has a lot of question marks, but I feel confident in him becoming at least halfway decent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with with Bridges, um, it's kind of an interesting prospect because people were super high on him his freshman year, really liked him, and then coming into this year, some people had him as a top three or four, five pick, and just... hasn't completely worked out. But with that being said, I mean, he is a guy who can score the ball. He's long. Not the most athletic, like you said. There are defensive question marks. But like other players who have gone through the the draft and entered the NBA, I mean, when you get into that, those kind of nutrition systems and weightlifting and kind of start to build that – kind of build your body and build your athleticism. If the scoring is there, then I think that you can still, that that you can develop other parts, and he could definitely be a pretty decent player in the NBA.
0: Well, I want to jump back quick, because we did skip someone that I wanted to talk about. So I'll lead it in like this. Six, seven, and eight right now. Magic, Bulls, Cavs. Where do you think Wendell Carter fits the best out of those three?
1: Oh. Um, I mean, I think Carter's Carter's an interesting prospect. Um, Like, some people have compared him to Al Horford. I don't know if that's necessarily the right comparison. I think that the Bulls would be an interesting fit because... I mean, that backcourt or that I mean that front court with him and Lowry would be interesting, but I mean Lowry can't I don't I don't think Lowry's big enough to be your five and I don't think or I don't I don't think Lowry's tall enough but physically just not big enough to play to defend the five and Carter's not necessarily tall enough to be your rim protector, so I think that'd be interesting. Um, Orlando, I mean I kinda like that fit with him and Jonathan Isaac. They'd be pretty long. Um, and then, I mean, with the Cavs, if LeBron leaves and Kevin Love leaves, I mean, they're starting from scratch. So, really, anybody's there.
0: Yeah, I um, I tinkered with Bagley at six to the magic, and then I landed on Carter. And I wanted Bagley there because I thought Isaac, Gordon, Bagley would be dynamic in transition. But I, I held back because Bagley's 6'10", with a nearly 7'5", wingspan, and Surprisingly, you only saw it in spurts because because Duke played zone, and and Bagley may have not not have gotten a ton of opportunities, but he did show some rim protection. He's not the quickest off his feet, but he's long, and I think he's going to be at least a decent rim protector in the NBA. And putting him next to Gordon and Isaac is really really interesting because Bagley because Carter can step out and stretch the floor. I don't I don't agree with the Horford comparison in the short term because he's just not. As good of a defender, he's he's fine around the rim, but he's slow on the perimeter. And he's he's good in transition. He's light on his feet, but he gets blown by all the time in the half court pick and roll situations. He can't switch right now, and that scares me. But I do think the jump shot is, it looks good when he shoots it, and that's not something that that either of us saw coming out of this high school. Is this,
1: this is Wendell Wendell Carter. Carter. This is
0: Wendell Carter. That's not something either of us saw coming out of high school. So. So yes, initially I I thought about Bagley 6, I liked the transition, but I landed on Carter because of these other attributes that he brings, and just the basketball IQ, going back to the IQ, awareness, skill level, that he's going to have a high floor because of that. But someone who has a low floor, who a lot of guys have projected to go right in that range, is Kevin Knox from Kentucky. And I know you, Denner, you had a strong opinion on Kevin Knox before he even Entered college before he even went to Kentucky. Do you still share those same
1: feelings? For the most part, yeah. I mean, obviously, he's improved a bit. His athleticism's improved a bit, and his shooting's improved a bit. And also, we've seen him contribute in big situations to a winning team. But my my opinion on Knox, I mean, and I this is. I just right away when I saw him play in the McDonald's All-American game, he's slow, not very athletic, and not a good enough shooter to overcome those deficiencies. And so with Kevin Knox, if, if, you, if he's not going to be a good enough shooter, then really, I mean, there's not much that he's going to be able to there, – there's not much that he's going to be able to do in terms of overcoming those and becoming a great NBA player. I just think that he's going to have a lot of difficulties.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and he's climbing upwards, It's obvious why. I mean, he's, he's 18. He shot 77% from the line, like 34 and some change from three. And he just seems like someone who's young can knock down shots. But if, if the reason he's in the NBA is to shoot threes, he's not nearly a good enough shooter. And he's, yeah. I agree with you. He's slow he's not necessarily a good pick and roll player. Everyone's talking about, oh, he has this this scoring ability, this this ability to just get put the ball in the basket, and I just don't see it with him. You look at a lot of other guys who score a lot of points, and and the games that Knox scored a lot, it's because he shot the ball well. And it's like, even in the NBA, guys go for 40 all the time. And it's because they shoot 13 of 15 that night, the day in, day out ability to finish at the rim, get to the line, make contested shots, run plays in the pick and roll. I just don't see it. Defensively he's 6'9 and he's slow. He can't protect the rim, he can't guard the perimeter. Maybe he gets quicker and he's got a big body and he's got a pretty decent release. So I think that there's a reason that if you're, I mean I think I'm 11 to the Hornets. If you're there I think that's a reasonable pick because you have nothing and you need to take a chance on someone who's young who could be a good wing player. But I agree with you. He just, he's not that good.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you talk about, and like you said, I, I mean, I understand why he could be up and rising on certain people's boards because, as I've mentioned earlier in the draft and before in other podcasts, I mean, the NBA is driven by wings. And if you have talented wings and long wings, and I mean, you, you see how kind of the Celtics are building with all of these long wings. I mean, they take Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum and these guys that the longer you can be on the perimeter and the more kind of Lengthy you can have and explosiveness Offensively as well. I mean that I mean the better your team's gonna be in the long run so When team, with that being said and with Knox's kind of physical attributes there are and a desire for those the, that kind of fit for teams in this NBA, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. But at the same time, there are just so many players that have higher upsides and more skills. And uh, I just I just don't think that he's going to be that good in the NBA.
0: So let's bump down to some teams that, that really could get better in the draft this year, have guys that can help them right away. And the first team is the 76ers. Now, I've been talking about Mikel Bridges, the Sixers, for a while now. My mock, I had them take... Lonnie Walker out of Miami. Do you think? Who do you think they should target? I guess with the tenth
1: pick. I think Mikael Bridges would be perfect if he can fall to them at ten. If they do, you think that?
0: Do you think that they need to reevaluate their current situation given how the playoffs ended for them? And and what Um, I mean by that is. They had a real inability to score the basketball in the playoffs. Yeah. And, and maybe Markel Fultz can it, fill it.
1: You're hitting, hinting at kind of like Embiid. Well, I, what I'm hinting
0: at is, is they after the summer, they're not going to have any capper. And if they don't get a wing this summer, that's, that's trouble for them. They don't have another scorer, and maybe Markel Fultz fills some of that role, but they're going to need a, a tertiary scorer, assuming Ben Simmons never really learns how to shoot, which doesn't seem likely so Bridges is obviously this perfect 3 and D guy and we thought when Markel and Embiid and Simmons were going to be their top three scorers that this a 3 and D win would be perfect for him and maybe he still can be I still think Bridges would be an awesome fit there but the reason I had Lonnie Walker was because he is more of a pure scorer you could even argue your boy Colin Sexton should go there if they really need a boost in the scoring department versus the three point shooting and defense department
1: well I mean I think that I mean, especially with the the increasing, increasingly likely reality that JJ Reddick's not going to be back. I mean, I don't think Sexton. I don't think you can kind of take Sexton there because it's just more really athletic guys that can't shoot. Okay. <laughs> so I think it'd be tough. But I, I mean, I, it's tough because again. There's always a possibility they land Lebron. Yeah. And, and yes,
0: there is that possibility.
1: Or there's a possibility they get Paul George. Or, I mean, there are a lot of things that can happen between now and the start of the season in October. And, and there are also, I mean, I mean, there's a bunch of thoughts just kind of cluttering through my head right now because then it's also, what do you do with Markel Folts? Is it worth is it worth keeping him, or do you try to dump him now, maybe in a package for Kuyler? Uh, maybe just sell, sell early on him, and kind of see where you can go from there. Do you? There's so much that that can happen with this Sixers team. Um, that ultimate, but ultimately, ultimately, I think you just gotta trust, trust your guys, trust, trust Embiid, trust Ben Simmons. Sarge is a pretty good scorer. I like Covington. I I would take I would take Mikael Bridges because I think that they need the shooting and his ability to play defense. I mean, we saw we saw one thing that really hurt them in the playoffs was JJ Redick's inability to play defense, and the Celtics continued to target him and continue to take advantage of that lack of ability to play defense. And I think that if you replace Redick with Bridges. Who obviously won't be as good of a shooter, maybe, but can shoot the ball and can be more effective defensively. I think that that can definitely help.
0: I agree, uh, and I had Walker. I also had Bridges going before ten, so they wouldn't have been available to take Bridges. Uh, the other thing about having someone like Mikael Bridges is he's going to be twenty-two when the season starts. He's one. Big at Villanova. He knows what it takes. He's an unselfish player. And I'm not a big fan of the winning, he's a winner argument. But there is something to playing on teams that win and then coming into the NBA and, and being able to kind of create a culture of winning. And I'm not saying Mikel Bridges is going to be a leader on that team, but just kind of have that attitude of, hey, I'm going to be able to contribute for you guys right away. I know what it takes to, to contribute on the highest levels, and you're going to be able to trust me with the ball with the game on the line, and I think there's a lot there that's interesting when you think about Lonnie Walker, who's 19 and kind of an unpolished scorer, or some of the other guys later in the draft, so I I think we aired out the Sixers enough, let's keep it moving here.
1: So, just real quickly, we've talked about it, like, you mentioned kind of towards the end of that Celtics series that... Maybe, maybe they should trade Embiid because he's not a good enough three-point shooter, and he is so ball-dominant, and there there are issues there, but I just I think that they're so far into this thing now that I think that trading Embiid, you're not going to get back in return anything that's going to – you're not in the immediate return anything that's going to contribute – nearly as close, or anybody who's going to contribute nearly as much as what he can contribute. And then you have a team that full of guys like Simmons and Sarch that are ready to win now. I think that you kind of just have to see what you can add in the immediate future and build with this core.
0: What about Kawhi? What about Joel Embiid for Kawhi? And then you're... No. Then you're because, my, because right now, let's let's say you have a guarantee it, from Kawhi that he resigns. Like, it's, almost
1: like the, it's almost like the Paul George situation last summer, where if you're any team other, if you're any team outside of Los Angeles, no. Well, let's
0: say you have a guarantee that he's going to resign.
1: It's tough. Okay, here's the problem is it's like how you pass up on Kawhi Leonard because he's, I mean, when he's healthy, he's one of the, I mean, you could argue two or three best players in the NBA. But you also have a 20-year-old Ben Simmons, a 20-year-old Markel Fultz, a 23-year-old Dario Saric, and a potentially 22-year-old Mikhail Bridges. So do we, are we going for longevity here? Are we going for? I mean, there there are certain things that you that have to be evaluated in this situation because do I think that? I mean, the, even if you add Kawhi, there are still pieces that need to be added for you to become ready to beat a team like the Celtics in the East. And then you and then you you can't you can't even start to think about the Warriors. So, I mean. The, it's tough so i i mean how how old is Kawhi right now i
0: think he's 26.
1: so i mean there's definitely an argument to be made that he's young enough where he can fit with that core for an extended period of time but there are injury issues and we don't know what where his interests are or, not interest but like how how long he wants to continue to play and all that Stuff so I mean it, it's definitely be interesting I think I think either way the Sixers would win you keep Embiid you're going to be really good going forward you may not totally get over the, I don't know but either way I think it's a good situation
0: absolutely and it's it's just kind of interesting to think about because the Sixers may not have much ammo and I think maybe people should consider it but there are two teams that fourteen fifteen. The Nuggets and the Wizards that are in trouble, frankly. And I've been a big Nuggets proponent. but it doesn't seem like they have enough right now with what they have with their cap situation to really make a run with their current core. And obviously those guys can get better, but it seems like they're going to top out at a level below title contention. Now at 14, there are some guys they can take a chance on. I have them going the safer route with Sexton. Let's say Sexton's off the board by then do they reach for the stars with a guy like Zaire Smith or do they take someone that's more sturdy do they try to get an Aaron Holiday or or a Miles Bridges if he were to fall or someone more on um, on that tier
1: um kind of just thinking about it's tough because i mean you add Zaire Smith it's like does he even play? I mean, you have Gary Harris, you have Jamal Murray, you have you have um, Will Barton, you have just this overload of talent in the backcourt in Denver. It's a, where where do you even play him? So is it almost worth taking a guy, even though there's a ton of upside, that is going to play in the backcourt? It'd be interesting. It's tough because there aren't that many great options. Like, if this was last year and they could have gotten John Collins at 14, I think that would have been a really good fit because they need guys who can really maybe run the floor and protect the rim and play defense because Jokic isn't your long-term option because he he can't play defense. I mean, he cannot play defense. He cannot protect the rim. So I think the more interesting question is what do you do with Nicole Jokic? Because – one thing that, I mean, I just kind of thought about, would Nikola Jokic be enough to get, like, a Kawhi deal?
0: Maybe a more interesting thing to think about is Jokic enough to get a pick for the – a deal for the fourth pick. Would Memphis consider parting – I mean, obviously Jokic and Gasol is a weird fit, but both guys can shoot. Uh,
1: going and getting bomber Jaron Jackson? Or Luka. or Luca Doncic, the, but the, but the, again, the Nuggets are again. That's a situation where you have guys like Gary Harris and Jamal Murray who are starting to get into those points. And Jamal Murray a little bit less, but Gary Harris where they're getting points in their career where they're starting to get ready to win. It's like I mean, you still have Paul Millsap there too.
0: The the issue is that what they need is Paul George. They need a three and D wing who's going to be a go-to scorer for them. Who, and I, I mean Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, eventually in their careers will be able. And I think Nicole Jokic. I think those guys, from an offensive standpoint, can be your one, two, and three. But yeah. at, right now they don't have that dynamic of a scorer. And if that's their three going forward, they're not going to have. They're not, they're not going to have it on offense. You have those three guys, and you you pair them with some some two other guys that are just okay it's it's not a great it's just not a great situation they they need a three and d player and there are a lot of them in this draft there just aren't a lot of them around the 14 range and there aren't a lot of them that can contribute right away troy brown is someone who is incredibly young but he can't shoot he's not particularly athletic And he's a good player, but I'm not sure how he contributes right away. And Zaire Smith can jump through the roof, but he can't shoot at all. and He can't contribute right away, as you said. They either need to try to move up and take a shot on Michael Porter or get into one of the Bridges' range or save some salary, slide down, and pick up Okoji or Kevin Herter or Kyrie Thomas later in the draft. Where they are, I'm not sure they're gonna. They're getting good value from anybody.
1: Yeah, and like I said, it's, it's tough because, let, exactly like you said, they need a three and D guy or they need a big. Um, because they're loaded at guard, they're loaded in the front court, but it's just it's kind of confusing after that. So I, I mean, there's a lot that they could do, and it's it's almost like. If they're going to take somebody at 14, I just don't think that they're going to get an immediate contributor.
0: And at 15, the Wizards. Now, the Wizards have Otto Porter, John Wall, and Bradley Beal locked up on huge contracts, all three of them, for at least the next three years. At least the next three years. Wall's is longer than that. I don't know when Beal's is. Porter's is up after three years. I think he has a player option for like $30 million in that third year. That's their team. Everyone that they're getting... They're getting through the draft. I mean, there's there's rumors of a sign and trade for Demarcus Cousins and Otto Porter would be involved in that, but let's assume that's not going to happen. What do they do? Because they don't I have think, they don't have time to wait for someone to to develop.
1: I think a um, I think taking a guy like Zaire Smith or Kyrie Thomas, kind of a uh, a guy who could maybe. Play the point and back up John Wall, or Brad Beal would be an interesting fit because I mean, as we saw last year with John Wall going down and then
0: I'm Ty blanking Lawson. on his name.
1: Ty Lawson. It was well, no, it wasn't Ty Lawson who backed him up. They had Ron Sessions uh, too. No, it was. so give me a second.
0: Um. Do they have Trey Burke last year? Oh, Thomas Sutteransky.
1: That's what I was thinking of. I think that they, it'd be an interest. It, it'd be interesting to see that if they're gonna stay there at fifteen and they're gonna you're gonna kind of go for a move that's just kind of quiet and draft somebody, getting somebody who could maybe be a more reliable, more reliable source as a backup point guard might not be a bad idea.
0: And that's why I have them. My mock taking Ilya Kobo from France, who we don't really know much about. But we know he's 6'3". We know he's a 6'8 wingspan. And we know he can shoot the ball. And he's he grew up playing the 2 guard. Now he's kind of moved into more of a primary ball handler role. He can play next to both of them. And that's something that they need. And I completely agree with you that that's the number one team need. And, and a wings would help, of course. And I really think that they should be focused on... I mean, I think Kevin Knox may be even interesting for them. Because they need... I think they would be best if they opened up the floor for John Wall. And they can't do that with Gortat and Morris in the middle. And yeah. if, if they could get someone who if they could get a big who could stretch the floor a little bit, if they could get if they could get like a I think Mo Wagner is interesting in the second round for them, just to give him a just yeah. to mix it up even though he's not gonna guard anybody. Um yeah. I think that would be interesting for them and I think I think they need the point guard, as you said, so a Kobo would be a good fit um
1: would you do you think d'anthony mountain's too early at 15
0: yeah i mean a little too early once you start getting into guys like a kobo and, and troy brown it's really preference i think kind of the 15 to 40 to 45 range is super super flexible and there's a lot of different types of players uh and a lot of different skill levels a lot of different opinions so i you can go a lot of different ways. Um, if you really feel that strongly about D. Anthony Melton, then go for it. I mean, I'm not sure D. Anthony Melton can shoot, and he's a little undersized. Um, other than that, I like him. But yeah. but I, I would say it's a little too early for him. Someone I really like, though, who I almost put in that spot is Kevin Herter from, from Maryland. Really good shooter. Tested really well athletically at the Combine. He's an okay defender. He stays in front of his man, but he's not long. He's not particularly strong. I just think that his his IQ, his passing skills offensively, combined with his ability to just knock down shots at a, at one of the highest rates in the draft, that he's a really good fit for a lot of these teams in the late in the late teens that are that need someone to come in and and really play right away for them, and whether that's the Jazz who are at 21 or the Bucks at 17. Or even the Wizards at fifteen, if they if they really felt inclined, that he would brought enough different things to the table than Sadoransky, I think Herder could fit in a lot of those different places.
1: Yeah, I don't know uh, much about him, but um, from your evaluation, from the way that you've talked about him, from the little that I've seen, I think that you kind of nailed it right on the head. And also somebody that I we kind of forgot about, and that I didn't uh, think of, but if Denver were to Take somebody at 14. Robert Williams might not be a bad
0: fit. Yes. Williams is interesting. Uh, he would bring room protection and it just bring a different style of play when you had him versus Jokic. Um, he's someone that I had falling, but uh, I agree that, that Williams could be interesting. The Suns are at 16. We're not going to go through all these, but I, I thought we'd hit on the Suns and maybe the Bucks. The Bucks are interesting too. But the Suns with their second pick, if they get Aiton, like many expect them to, where do they go with this pick?
1: I think they have to go with a guard. I mean, you right now, your starting point guard is who, Tal Uless? I mean, and then I'm not necessarily saying that they're finding their starting point guard at 16. But you need, I think that you need somebody that I mean you have a surplus of bigs.
0: Would would you consider Trayvon Duval at sixteen? No. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, I don't know. I just I'm not a huge Duval fan. I think he's a bit undersized, not he's he's a decent defender, but not great. Um I think it's a little bit early. I think that actually somebody who... Not really, not totally a guard, but kind of a tweener between a guard and kind of a wing player. Jerome Robinson might not be a bad fit at 16. Kind of be somebody who can play alongside or back up um, Josh Jackson, provide a little bit of scoring off the bench. Might not be, might not be a terrible fit.
0: Yeah, I really like Jerome Robinson. I had him going a couple spots lower. I think the Timberwolves, but he would be good because of his just scoring ability and shooting ability, and and they n- really need shooters. I worry a little bit about him on the defensive end, and that's why I had them take one of my favorite players in the draft, Kyrie Thomas, who's the, the back-to-back Big East all-defensive player of the year. Knocks down shots, doesn't do a lot more, but just stocky defender, moves his feet well, hounds guys, long wingspan, and I think they're gonna need guys in the backcourt because we don't know, I think Doncic is going to be fine, but we don't really know what Doncic is yet, defensively. And Booker's a question mark too. So for them to get another defender in the realm of a Josh Jackson type of player, I think it's big for them.
1: Yeah, and, and we also have to, despite what we both think should happen, we I mean, we have to go in with the mentality that Aiton's going to be picked at 16. Or right, right. Or at 1.
0: What do you think about about them going after another wing there, and I don't necessarily know who it would be, but maybe maybe it's a Jerome Robbins type, maybe it's a D'Anthony Melton type, maybe it's Troy Brown. And saying, Devin Booker, your lead ball handler, and he doesn't need to be a true point guard, but between him, Josh Jackson, and, and Ty Warren, there's a lot of uh, TJ Warren. There's a lot of ball handling capabilities on their team. Do you think that maybe it would be better with them just to stay big and and play a big lineup with those three guys plus a wing around Aiden I
1: don't know it's tough. It's it's an interesting situation because obviously there's still something missing. And if you're taking Aiden I mean odds are you're you're out on Dragon Bender, right? I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying you, I'm saying hypothetically you being the Phoenix Suns.
0: Well, I think you could play him next to to next I and mean, they've been using him as kind of their second big. He's not a rim protector yet, but he hits threes. He's actually, like, not horrible. I, I'm not saying you're out on him, but he's definitely taking a back seat with another big there, yeah.
1: I don't know. I just think it's, it's interesting, because they're still... It's like they're, they're... They get eight, and they're still one piece. They still need that one more piece, and it's, it's almost like, do you try and suck again? Or... Like, what do you do? So, you really, I don't
0: know. You really think they're one piece away, even if they get Aiden? If they have Aiden, Josh Jackson, and Devin Booker, you don't think that, that those three could eventually be good enough?
1: And I mean, I'm not saying that the that one piece needs to be the next, like, needs to be necessarily an all-star player, but they need, they need a fourth guy who can handle the ball and kind of run the offense and provide some defense in the backcourt for them to really be ready to start competing. That's fair. In, like, a realistic sense.
0: So we've covered most of the, most of the guys that, I mean, I like Josh Akoja. We don't need to touch on him. Uh, a couple of guys who are wild cards before we wrap this up for you. Mitchell Robinson, Anthony Simons. Who would you prefer to take a risk on regardless of situation? Robinson, obviously. Rim protector, hopefully. Not more skilled, but maybe a better logical fit, whereas Simons is just kind of a potentially a big-time scorer and more athletic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're talking about pure upside, you've got to go with Simons the scoring ability, the athleticism. I think that those are things that just provide you with a higher ceiling.
0: Yeah, I think it's a fair point. Um, I hope Robinson can shoot threes. I've seen him shooting before, and it doesn't look great, but apparently he's had a year to work on it. So if he comes into the league knocking down shots, that would be interesting. Um, I wouldn't really – I wouldn't risk it on Robinson, I don't think. I think what's going on there is a little wacky, and – Simons, I think if if you're a team in the twenties that needs to take a shot on someone, I think Simons is a fine guy to take a chance on. But um, yeah, most you have any final things you want to talk about? Any second round picks you want to shout out? Um, I think that's going to be uh, it for us. I mean, we're at oh, an hour and ten minutes here, so that's a good long, good long draft preview for you. We're always excited for the draft, and um, we'll talk to you next time.